Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we do ask what we just sang, Lord, that you would give us faith, you'd give us strength, you'd give us the ability to to live our life in full confidence of you. Lord, we recognize our weakness, we recognize our inabilities, but Lord, we recognize your ability as the creator God, the one who loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, help us to intently look toward you now as we open your word and as we push into your truth. Lord, help us to explore what it means to be your servants increasingly, but also, Lord, help us to understand what it means to live lives that respond well to the generosity that you've shown us. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you in this time, ask for you to speak, ask for you to move, and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've been on a journey, The starting last week, we've begun this journey of, of what it means to live generously. Now, last week we talked briefly, um, <clears throat> really, we watched, watched a video, and we're going to watch one in just a second. Um, we're following a man, um, really his name's Frank, and if you weren't here last week to catch you up to speed, um, Frank is a guy that obviously has wealth, and um, <clears throat> he does very well for himself, um, but Frank kind of came to this point at the end of the video we watched last week where generosity for him, um, he realized he wasn't quite as generous as he thought. His son gave away his very favorite plane to a boy that had nothing, and his father, who was <clears throat> Frank, was standing there, and he was about to give a man his old watch that was tucked back in the corner of a closet. He, he wasn't willing to give his best, but he was holding on to, and saw him at the end of the video, he was staring out, and you could tell that he was under some sort of conviction, that he was confused, that he needed greater clarity in his life. And I would say that to begin our time together this morning is that, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I don't always see myself as well as I think I do. Anybody else with me there? You're like, no, I'm good, man. I totally see myself as I am. I don't think we always see ourselves as clearly as we, we think. And I hope over these next five weeks, over these next four weeks, as we go through this series of living generously, that we would, we would see ourselves more clearly and that God would give us clarity into the loves and the devotions of our hearts that we might be able to live faithfully for him. Because there's nothing more important than living faithfully for God, the one who made us, the one who loved us, the one who gave his son for us. And so today, to set up the video a little bit, um, I'm just going to intro it a little bit. So when, when we start the video, his head's going to be asleep. He's going to be laid down asleep, and he wakes up. Just so you know, he's having a dream. And in this dream, God's going to reveal some things about his heart, about his money, about his generosity. So let's watch together. Well, next week, we'll see more of Frank on his journey. I was a bit offended by that video because the, uh, the bald man, <clears throat> they could have dressed him up a little bit better. So... All and all of us bald guys were offended by that. So <clears throat> when we look and we see Frank's journey um, into reality, seeing himself more clearly, um, I think the question and where we started last, stopped last week was, do we? Do we see ourselves more clearly? And as God reveals himself to us over this next week and every week as he does, will we simply respond in obedience to whatever he tells us to do. 
And so this series, as we go through Living Generously, our commitment was, hey, God, whatever you tell me to do, I commit to act upon that truth. And so as our life interacts with the truth about God, truth about ourselves, we have to ask the question, am I living in sync with God? Am I living in obedience to God with my life? See, only by pressing into God will we gain clarity into our own thoughts, actions, and what is actually going on inside of us. Now, when we talk about this, now this week we are going to talk about money and we're going to talk about generosity and giving. The Bible speaks extensively about it, and it's something that as a church we know that for you it is not the number one thing you probably want to hear about, and just so you know, it's not the number one thing I want to talk about. But it is in the scriptures, and we can't run or hide from it because money, it is. It's this thing that if it can own us more than we own it. It is something that can take us over in ways that we can't run or hide from. So I think as we get into this, one of the things that we need to be clear on is God. Is what is God wanting from us and what does God expect from us? Now, in order to see that well, I think we need to see God more clearly. And so simply this, God is on our side. And he said he was because, well, he showed he was because he sent his one and only son into this world to die the death we deserved on the cross. God loves us more than we could ever think, dream, or imagine. Our Father God loves us and desires not harm, not pain, not shame, but he desires grace and mercy and peace in each and every person's life in this room. Yesterday, we had Kinsley, our, our nine-year-old. She's in the fourth grade Y basketball league, and um, I'm on the sidelines, one of the coaches, and she got a rebound, right? And she got a rebound, and she just dropped back. She looked like LeBron, just like fader, boom, and she hit, she hit the shot. And she's like, I think there were three girls on the court the whole day. It was basically a boys' league. And so, you know, in our house, you know, girls rule, boys drool. And so we were just in the, and so she, she makes the shot. And when she made the shot, I'm not even like, I, don't, I probably offended somebody. But I was like, yes! <laughs> I was like so excited for her. And I like even like might have cried a little bit. I'm not even like, there's like a tear of excitement for Kinsley because I, I, I love I love to see her do well. I was excited that, that she achieved. And I'm just, I'm just like a broken dad on earth. How much more is our Father God looking at us, just wanting us to do well? Wanting to see us take steps forward of obedience and life and love. Seeing us, seeing us thrive in this world. And so when we see God, especially when we talk about money, let's not see him as someone who's like looking down on us, demanding that we somehow pay our penance before him. See, I think giving at its very foundation is I have been so blessed by my father who loves me. Like how can I in some way live as a blessing? And so money at the very foundation of this, when we talk about it, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not giving so that we might be blessed. We've been blessed, and so we, we bless. And don't hear me wrong here. I, I believe that through obedience, blessing overwhelms the life of a believer, but the blessing typically comes in his grace and his love and his care in the depths of my heart, not in the physical things, because all this stuff, it's burning up and it's going away. That really nice house in 1952 unkept isn't a very nice house today. 
that really nice car in 1985 isn't a very nice car today. I know because I had one of those really nice cars and the door fell off of it, right? <laughs> Literally, that happened. So, so in this, we know this life. We know this world. We know possessions are fading. And, and the other thing with, with money, we know that God has blessed us so much through his son. How, how in some way can I reciprocate in obedience to him to experience the fullness that he has for me in my life? Now, one of, the, one of the challenges of this is the culture and the society that we live in. Richard Foster, a guy who's written a lot on spiritual devotion, and, um, um, he wrote this in 1978. In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. One of the challenges that I think we have of gaining clarity in our lives is the muchness and the manyness. Do you ever feel like life is moving aggressively fast? Do you ever feel like you can't slow down, like everything is just coming so quickly and there's so many things, muchness and manyness? The noise. And I, I think for us to gain clarity into our own lives, and maybe in this series, and maybe as you come to the chapel, maybe this is an hour where God can help you gain clarity. And I, I hope you see that, and I hope he does that over these next weeks. But, but I, I believe we've got to create space in our lives to be with him. A guy said to me one time, Ryan, I'm fearful. I'm fearful for your life as I watch you because you are so busy that you don't have time for God. And that is a very, very scary thing. And I internalized that was years ago, and I began to develop my devotion life in a different way because it was true for me. I was caught up in the muchness and the many rather than finding space and time for God to speak. And so I think as we, as we push into living generously, seeing ourselves, this is like the adversary to us is what the, the noise, the hurry, and the crowds and space. And so I hope this morning we have some space to consider Matthew 6, 24. Let's read it together. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you. It'll also be on the screens. It is on the screen. Matthew 6, 24 reads, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In this text, there's three things that we kind of can pull out, and I think they're pretty clear. And so it's, it begins with, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, and so we have a section dealing with love, or he will be devoted to one, right? He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so we kind of have like two things out of the gates. And so the first thing that we see in the text is our hearts are built to love. Our hearts are built to love. It is in the mechanisms of our creator God, how he created us to move and go about this world. We are created to love. And really, maybe use a different word here. Love is a bit confusing, confusing word. So I can say, like, I love my wife and I love, like, Taco Bell, right? Those are, those are different, right? Those are two, like, Deb, I love you more than Taco Bell. Like, it's different, right? And so we, we have to, and Taco Bell does not love me. And so... And so we have these two separate things. They're different, right? We, we, we can't. And so maybe a way, instead of saying love, affections. We were built to have affections, right? Deep, biting affections, connections to things. So in the text, it says no one can serve two masters. You, you can't 
you know, and it kind of does have an imagery of like slavery. And it's this idea of like there's one that you serve and you can't have two. It doesn't work that way. You, you can't have two people calling the shots over your life. You can't have maybe another way of thinking that is competing loyalties. You will be loyal to one thing or another. You can't be loyal to all things. And so it says you either will hate the one, which the idea of hate there in this passage is not just like kind of anger or animosity. It's really an idea of aversion. It's you will hate the one. You will you'll kind of sneak and hide yourself away from one, and you will move to the thing in which you love. And so it's not even necessarily this like deep animosity, but it's an aversion. It's a moving myself away, and by moving myself away, I'm showing that I, I don't have an affection for this thing. And love the other, and the word there for love is agapeo, which is this deep abiding affection. And so I will, I will avert myself from one thing, and then I will have a deep abiding affection for another thing. And so in this text, what we see is that there's competing loyalties. God and what? What is it that is in me that is competing in my heart and life? What if it was taken away from me would ruin me? Is it, is it if, if all of a sudden I, I couldn't wear a Patagonia or North Face jacket or a premium brand, and all of a sudden I was, that was stripped away from me, and I had to wear, you know, uh, you know, a brand that was lesser. If I had to wear a shirt that was the exact same thing, didn't have a logo on it, straight up, that's how that works, just so you know. What if that was taken away? What if when I drove into the parking lot, I, I wasn't in this kind of car, but in this kind of car? What if the brands and the materialism of my day actually own me and these things mean more to me than I think? What if I couldn't have this purse or that purse? What if I couldn't do this or that? What is it inside of me? And no one can define that. I can't define it for my kids. I can't define it for my wife. I can't define it for you, but I can for me. And I can gain clarity into my own. What is the thing competing in my heart? Is it a lifestyle? Is it a brand? Is it money? Is it just like straightforward, simple things that are obvious? James 5, 3 through 5 says, Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And she cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. See, I would say one of the greatest challenges and struggles of our day isn't the, you know, the rise of Islam for our hearts. It's not Mormonism, any of the other isms, Buddhism. These things are an attack and they're false religions and they're things that we should reject and not adhere to. But I think the ism that so plagues us in North America is materialism. It is what truly fights against our heart and against our soul and our love of God. It's a love of things. And we love those things more than we know. See, in this society we live in, we live in, without doubt, a pluralistic society, meaning that there are many competing ideas and competing thoughts. And so 50 years ago, and now, don't hear me say when I talk about 50 years ago, like it was a good old days, and if every could, everything could be like it was 50 years ago, then the world would be a better place. Because 50 years ago, or 60 years ago, or 70 years ago, white people and black people didn't worship together. So I don't want to go back to that, just so we're clear. So the good old days aren't as good as we always think they are. 
right? But way back in America, if I would have said this, hey, random person on the street 50, 60 years ago, I would have said, hey, um, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There would have been this kind of tone of, oh, the Bible says that? I didn't know the Bible said that. And there might have been conviction or grief because there was this one, one dominant main thought in, in American life and was that the Bible was real, it was valid, and had a place in the life of every person. And so when it was spoken, it had depth, it had meaning. But now today, if I say, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, the person may respond, how do you know? I mean, but there's this and there's this and there's this thought and there's that. See, we live in a pluralistic society, meaning that open-minded, I mean, if you're open-minded, that, that you're a good person, because good people are really open-minded, right? We live in a day where competing truths, um, they, they rule and reign. We live in a day where um, definition of truth comes through experience and opinion. And so I experience this, my opinion is this, and therefore it is valid, and what happens as we kind of walk through this day and time in which we live is that we begin to move ourselves away from really what the scriptures say is there is truth, right? It's the word of God. God fully revealed himself to us. And by this truth, you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. By living out the ways of Jesus, you display your love of God that there is an ultimate way, an ultimate truth, an ultimate life, and that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That we can actually find truth and we can live according to it. See, the, we live in a day where open-mindedness, competing truths are, and so it leads to things like a love of things. And so maybe a common way, um, well, we think about it like love, for example. Love is this thing that is such a blessing. Um, it's such a wonderful thing to possess. Uh, maybe you're sitting next to someone or you have a family or a husband or a wife that you deeply love. It's a wonderful thing to experience that love for each other. It's almost so wonderful that it's, it's one of the greatest blessings, gifts that God gives us is the capacity to love other things and other, other not other things, other people. This week... On Monday, I or on Tuesday, I participated in a in a portion of a of a memorial service for Mary Jane. On thir on Wednesday, um, I did a funeral service for a 38 year old man. And on Friday, I did a funeral service for a 90 year old woman. And in this room and at the funeral home, what happened? Love was there. It just looked like grief because as people sad and as they cried that Uncle Chad was gone, they'd love so much. And the way that we see that love is such a blessing is, honestly, it's in grief because we hurt and there's pain and there's sorrow when that love departs from our lives. There's this thing that I've connected, my, this person I've connected my life to and they're gone. Now, maybe you've experienced this in your own life. I just experienced it excessively in my own life this week and walking with families through this. See, love is this wonderful thing, but see, in a pluralistic society, this is what love looks like. A guy comes into my office and he says, Ryan, I don't know what to do. I've been spending this time with this woman and I love her. And I love her so much and my heart, 
I just, I've just grown to love her in a way that I, I don't know what to do, and I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my wife because I did love her once, but now that love is gone, and I'm going to love this other person. And he goes, you know, I, I know it's not right, but I just, my heart, I just love her. So what's the issue with the dude? The dude loved the wrong thing. And it is a real feeling inside of him. But see, there's a problem with his love. He connected his life to a love he should have never connected his life to. And what the dude needs to do is he needs to go back to the one he made a covenant with and stay with her and not reject it, but keep his word and keep his faithfulness. But rather than doing that, he's just following his heart, his opinion, his experience, and he's living out the pluralistic life in North America of competing affections and competing loves, and we do it all the time. We connect our hearts to something, and we love it in a way that we shouldn't, and it grabs us, and it possesses us, and it causes us to do things we ought not ever do. And it doesn't have to be people. It doesn't have to be affairs. It can be everything as dumb as a jacket to the Green Bay Packers, right? Go Pack. We can connect our lives, and it can control us emotionally, and it can control us in ways to do things that do not honor God. And you think, Ryan, man, that's really, like, that's really extreme. It really isn't. It really isn't. It's actually really normal, and it's really sad. And what this text is, is really saying to us is that you can't serve two masters. You were built to love. Ultimately, you were built to love God. We're going to see that in a minute. You were built to love God, but our hearts, they, learn, they, 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 they are drawn to other things. Our hearts are built to love, and we will love something. We will love something. Second, we see our lives are defined by devotion. Our lives are defined by devotion. So, again, the beginning of the text says, no one can serve two masters. It says, either you will hate and love the other, or... And so it's kind of this same thing. No one can serve two masters. He will be devoted to one or despise the other. And so it's a different word. And so he's saying the same thing, but kind of giving us, if it's a square, he's giving us another side, another way to see into our own hearts, another way to see that which we are loving, devoted to. Devotion has this idea of commitment. Is that what am I committing my life toward? What am I hitching it up beside what are the things that i'm 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 defining the the loyalty of my life says or so it says he will be devoted to one he will be bound held to gripped by one or despise despise the other he will have contempt toward the other anger toward the other and you can't be devoted to many things now this is just a true thing we might think that we do well like having devotion to multiple things in life in a day of multitasking and multi everything which I really despise by the way because if there's like another thing that I have to answer and fail at and other than like like when I started ministry just so you know like if I, I had this pink thing you get kids you may not know they have these pink things that, that someone would take it and they would write on it and they would like stick it to your door. And if you got back in like 24, 48 hours, it was a phone call and it was good. Now, if I don't answer or reply to an email within two hours of receiving it, I am a terrible pastor, right? Like that's kind of the world I live in, right? And you do too. Like it's instant. Like somebody Facebook messaged me last night. Just wait, don't Facebook message me because I don't really look at my Facebook. My wife kind of does some of that. Like I don't, I, I really don't like Facebook. 
Um, anyway, for a lot of reasons, um, and I could tell you all those reasons someday, not now. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we have all these competing things around us in our life, and everything's asking us to go fast and quick. And, but the reality in our lives is that, that, that for us, we are going to devote ourselves to something or another. One of the ways that we can show our devotion, um, things that own us more than we know, would be maybe simply with this grid. So uh, creation. Creation, go ahead and throw up the slide. Creation would be this, the, a fundamental belief about our origin. Fall would be a fundamental belief about what's broken in our life. Redemption, what we look to as a remedy, and then recreation, everything turned back to what it should be. Now, let me tell you in like maybe the proper sense of the gospel. You and I were created in the image of God to live out his ways in this world. We see it in Genesis 1 and 2 that God made us perfectly to walk in his ways, to walk perfectly in submission to him and his love and grace and experience freedom and life in its fullness. But the fall happened. And when the fall happened, thorns and thistles and brokenness entered into this world. Man's relationship with God was twisted and it was turned. And because of that, we began to live in rebellion and against the ways and the purposes of God. Redemption. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to die the death on the cross that we deserved to unite us back into relationship with our father God who created us. And recreation. And now he is recreating us every day more and more increasingly into the image of the son. And one day he will return and restore us forever. So this story plays out in all of our lives, and it's a way that we can see what's going on inside of our hearts. We can see it because we, in our struggles and issues, we have a fundamental belief about what should be. We define what is broken, and then if this happened, redemption would come, and then if it kept happening, we would all live happily ever after. That's kind of how that works. And so I'll give you a few stories to help you maybe understand this. So students, it might look like this. My, my teacher, my favorite teacher, always used to call me, and I loved going to the class. And then Kara came, new student. And she began to put all of her attention on her. And I knew that she wasn't really that good of a student, and she really isn't that nice a person. But for some reason, my teacher just kept always focusing on her. But then she got caught. She got caught cheating, and my teacher no longer spent time with her. And now she spends more time with me, and now I am happy in my classroom, Right? And so the story goes like this, right? Creation, I wanted a good relationship with this teacher. Brokenness, right? I lost that. Redemption, revenge, right? That's the, instead of redemption, revenge happened, right? Like she got what she deserved, and now I'm happy. It might look like this. This might be common for some in the room. So when we first got married, everything was great. We spent a ton of time together, and life was good. But then he got a job, and he got this job, and he was really, really busy, and started working 40 to 50 hours a week. And in working 40 to 50 hours a week, we just didn't have that time together anymore. And then, on top of that, we got pregnant, and we had our first kid, and life became challenging because he was working, and we had a child, and life began, and, she, and, and I, just, I just want to figure out a way that we can get back to the place like when we were first married, Right? And so there's this broken thing going on inside. Creation, I was made to live in this perfect kind of reciprocating lots of time relationship with my husband. What's broken is we don't have that anymore. 
And so this is like the fabric of why my life isn't good right now. But what would make it good is if we could just get some more time together. And then if we could get more time together, we'd live happily ever after. Now, just so you know, if, you've, if you're married and if you have children, that ship sailed a long time ago, right? <laughs> like whatever that like college thing was where you just looked at each other eye to eye. And I don't really remember. Deb and I maybe had like one summer of our marriage like that. But the reality is, is 40 hours a week is a lot of time. And there's a lot of demands on work. And children take up a lot of your time. And if you're looking for that to go away in your marriage, just so you know, probably not going to. And the reality is, is you're putting your hope in the wrong place. Because, see, you were created in the image of God to live out his ways. And this world is broken. And there are struggles. And it isn't perfect. Jesus died on the cross to redeem you to him. And in the struggle and trial of your life, he will recreate you to live in the tensions and the brokenness and make you look more like him through it in one day forever doesn't mean it's wrong to want that but church hear me on this we will put our hope in all kinds of things that we shouldn't and money is one of those because this is what money looks like and we'll do this quicker what money looks like in our life is I need I was on track to this and then this happened and if I could just get back on track to make this much money then my life would be perfect or might sound like this. I was young. I had so many dreams and so many hopes, and then I went to college and took on debt. And now I want to do this and I want to do that, but I have all this college debt and I can't do any of it. Right? I was created to be young and free and have what I want. I have a bunch of debt, and until that's gone, I can't move forward in my life. It looks like in order for me to do my job well, I have to get this, I have to get that, and stuff becomes a remedy, becomes a redeeming factor in my life. I need this, and then my life will be this and that. Church, hear me when I say Jesus Christ and his gospel is our only hope in any form, in any fashion, in any season of our life. You and I were created in the image of God to live out his ways. And we are broken at the very depths and foundation of who we are. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world. That he took the death and the judgment and the punishment that was yours and mine. And he hung on a cross. St. Francis of Assisi, you say, when I'd walk into a cross, I couldn't help but cry because it moved me so much. That that cross bore your sin. Jesus loved you so much that he would die for you and for me. And in dying for us, he wants to recreate us back into his image. Now, we can chase after all these false gospels, believing my wife or my husband or my job or revenge with this friend or this or that is going to fix my life. Only Jesus can fix your life. You say, Ryan, that's trite. You're not dealing with like the small, minute things. I'm telling you, if you'll focus on Jesus, I promise you this. He will give you what you need to get through everything you have. Let's not turn our lives to other devotions, other hopes, other dreams, because there is none other that can fulfill us and meet us like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if we just think this gospel is something I receive, and then I just put it on a shelf until I go to heaven when I die, I'm telling you, the gospel is the very thing we need to explore the depths of our own hearts, the depths of what we're looking toward in devotion and loyalties other than him for fulfillment. Only Jesus 
can bring that in our lives. So we are defined. We devote ourselves to things that we think will make things right. And by doing so, we reject the thing that will. And that's Jesus. So, what do we do? Well, the end of this, are the, the text, it says, you cannot serve God and money. Maybe lastly to say, our God is worthy of our worship. So, if we are, right, if we are built to love... If our lives are defined by devotion, we see last that our God is worthy of our worship. It says you cannot serve God and money. Now, the idea of that word money is not just money. It's not cash. And some of the older translations say God and mammon. And that word mammon is the idea of, of all of my possessions, of all of my stuff. You cannot serve God and stuff. One will, like one, your heart will, will love one more than the other. And so you cannot serve God and money, your stuff, your possessions. Money rules us more than we know and receives more worship than it is due. And so worship happens when we see God as he is and his church as it is, and we submit ourselves to the truth and surrender ourselves before him, that he is the giver and he is the owner. And so in some ways to say this, this is what, Think about the gospel for a moment here. So Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, teaches the disciples for 40 days, says, now go and make disciples of all nations. He says, but go in the upper room and wait, and the Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will go out and proclaim this. So they go up to the upper room, and they wait, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They go out, and they proclaim this gospel, and what happens? Disciples are made. They obey what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit leads them and guides them, and then what happens because disciples are made? Churches are planted. And churches are planted all throughout the known, kind of out through, throughout the known world in the texts of scriptures that we find. It goes from Asia to Rome to all the different pieces and ports, the major, major cities. They, they have churches planted. And from those, those places, more churches and more churches are planted, leading to, really, to this day. This church, 30-some years ago, was planted at the YMCA right here in North Canton, Ohio. And we gather today as a continuation of that church planting movement. So our God is worthy of our worship. Maybe say it in this way. When we think about giving of our funds and being generous, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to qualify it here in a minute. The church that Jesus Christ died for, the church that he died to establish that his mission might move forward in this world, is the primary missions organization of the world. And for me, my wife, I've devoted myself to being a part of it, pastoring it, and personally giving to the ministry of the local church because I believe that it is the primary, primary missions organization that God has instituted in the world. It's church, and we submit ourselves to it. And so one of the ways that I came to this, one, the scriptures speak of it clearly, but two was there was a guy I worked for in college. His name was David Winter. David owned a construction company. And growing up on a farm, that was kind of like physical labor was, I couldn't do a lot of technical things, but I could tear down a wall like nobody's business. I could hammer a nail. I could do that stuff. And so I got a job working for David, and it was, it was a great job through college. I could come and go as I wanted. I kept my own hours. He'd let me, he'd give me side jobs to do that he didn't want to do. It was great. But the, the greatest thing about working for David is he was a pastor. David worked two days a week. Um, at the church, and then he ran a construction company where we built new houses, remodeled houses, and did whatever. 
And so I got a lot of time with David that I didn't intend. And so one, one afternoon, we're putting sheeting on a roof, and we're up there working, and David would kind of always ask me questions and always ask me about things. And he said, Ryan, what, what does God own? And so I grew up around the church. I knew this answer, right? The answer is everything, right? He goes, like I said, everything. He says, well, what does that, what's that really mean? And I said, well, I guess like everything, like everything's his. And I, like, I really couldn't answer it any deeper than that at that point in my life. And he then went on through asking me multiple questions. He went on to tell me what God owned according to him. He said, Ryan, God owns everything. See that saw over there? It's God's. It's not mine. See that, that truck down there? It's God's. It's not mine. You see everything out here? It's, it's God's. It's not mine. Everything I have is his. And he goes, I don't tell very many people this. 70% of what I make goes back to the local church to do the work of the ministry. 30% of it we keep to, and he had like 15 kids. And so like they had to do that. They just show up like they just, hey, there's a kid on the rooftop. So, so, so David kind of went through this whole thing. I remember driving home, and maybe this sounds overly simplistic, but I remember driving home, my Ford Ranger, loved my little truck. I was driving my Ford Ranger home. It was no longer red. It was pink. It was that old, right? And I thought, God, this isn't my truck. This is your truck. And it would lead us to a place when we were first married that we bought our first house, and we were painting the walls, taking wallpaper off the walls, doing all those things. And Deb and I sat in a room, and we said, God, we prayed. And we said, God, this is your house. Whatever you want to do with it do it. And two hours later or so, we got a phone call to put our first foster placement in our house. And a little boy would, would be in that room where we prayed that, God, this is your house, not our house. See, our love of stuff and our love of money is really at the baseline of who owns it. Do you or does God? Now, I'm grateful for David sitting on that roof talking to me more than the money I made working for him that that was one of the deepest truths that I would learn that would define and does define how I live my life. Nothing I have is mine. All of it's God's. And simply for us, we live in submission to him. And I, I'm not telling you how much I give. I'm just telling you I do. And I give 10% of everything I get immediately back to the local church because the scriptures tell me to and because God's worthy of it. And it's a way that I say I don't own 100% of this I don't know, 90% of this. God, you own all of it. And that 10% is just simply me saying, I'm not an owner. The other 90% is yours too. But on the front end, you need to know that. Scripture's clear about money, that it competes with God. Matthew 6, 21 um, reads, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Last, Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with, the, with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. 
simply for us to live lives of generosity, the very base of that, especially with our finances, is recognizing that God is the owner, that money competes with my heart, and whatever I have to do to show God that I do not love money more than him, even to protect my own heart, I must do it because it is competing in my life. So the question that would ask, are you being faithful to give? Maybe starting in the first fruits, the first 10% of what you give to the Lord. And some of you go, Ryan, man, that's Old Testament stuff. Like, I don't think we have to go by that anymore. Good enough. I think under the grace, though, I think it probably should be more. I'm, I'm just saying, like, Oh, you know, now that we have Jesus and we have the full revelation of what he's done and this huge mission he has to redeem the whole world, we're going to give 5%. We can get off the hook now. I'm just saying that's how I think through that in my mind. Maybe for you, when you hear me say like 10%, you go, Ryan, you don't get it. I'm up to my ears in debt. I don't have enough money. I don't even know how we do it every month. And so, like, I don't know how I can do that. I'll tell you from my time, because Deb and I have never had great wealth, and we've had some times of real struggle, we just give, and God's provided. And so I'd say, by faith, obey God. And that would be my simple statement, and there's a lot of other people here. If you want to talk to us, we could help you walk through that. But I would say, by faith, always obey God, because living by faith doesn't always make sense. But seeing him come through is one of the things that grows our faith more and more. And so simply, maybe in this area, have faith. Now, some of you are like, you know, you might be the opposite. You might say, Ryan, you can't handle my tithe. I make so much cash. I can't trust the church with it. Trust us, right? Just say it. We'll be like Walgreens. We'll plant a church on every corner in Northeast Ohio. I mean, the vision, the vision is... The vision is so vast that he says in Habakkuk that that the grace of God would cover the earth as the water covers the sea. This is the amazing work of the local church that we get to be part of here at North Canton, that we want to see the mission of God go all throughout Northeast Ohio to the very ends of the earth, bringing the gospel and bringing mercy and justice to the ends of the earth. So I'm kind of joking, but I'm not kidding. The local church is a primary admissions organization of the church. Just so you know, this church has a big enough vision As we get resources, we're going to expand this kingdom as fast and as quickly and as well as we possibly can because God is worthy of it. And this world desperately needs to hear this great mission that they were created in the image of God. We are fallen and broken. Jesus died to redeem us and we could be made new and we can live in his ways and one day will forever. It's a great message that we want to proclaim to the ends of the earth. So for us this morning, to conclude... This morning, scripture is clear that we are called to love the one we were built to love, God. It is clear that we ought to let our life be defined by devotion to him and nothing else. And it's clear that we should worship him by living generously, specifically with our finances. And in the next few weeks, just so you know, you're off the hook. We're not going to do money every week. Next few weeks, we're going to talk about our time, our talents, everything that we have that that we can use for his kingdom, he wants us to. But this week, he's specifically speaking about our cash, the stuff that grips us more deeply than we realize. So whatever God is saying, might we respond in obedience? And I don't know what he's saying to you. I know what he said to me through this, and I'm going to obey him, ask you to do the same because he's worthy of it. Let's pray.
Father, we, we are grateful for your love and your mercy and your kindness. Father, we are grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, to die the death we deserved on the cross. And Lord, would you so press into us this deep work that you have done of redeeming us that we respond with our lives, with all of our cash, with all of our lives, with all of our talents, with all of our abilities, with all of our giftings, with, with every piece of who we are, all of our lives. Would, would you help us to bring them underneath your authority that we might live generously to the work of your kingdom, live generously to, to, to bringing justice and mercy to those that are hurting and need surrounding our life. That whatever you ask, whether it's to, to give someone a dollar for a meal tomorrow or to give a big chunk of our money sacrificially because you asked, Lord, help, help us not to hold too tightly to something that can do so much damage to our hearts. Lord, help us as we sing this last song to let go. Let go of our lives. Let go of our possessions. Surrender ourselves before you. Father, help us now as we respond, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand, and as we stand, we'll sing, and these altars are always open for you to come, kneel, and pray for whatever God's laying on your heart.